please turn this morning to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. We'll read verses 1 through 8 and 16 through 18. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thy alms may be in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret, himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Let's pray. Our Father, we acknowledge that our hearts desire a false display of righteousness, yet you call for righteousness which is from the heart. We know that we cannot fulfill these things except your Spirit granted unto us. And I pray that you would now grant unto us hearing ears and an open heart and that you would grant me right words. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke to all areas of our lives. He began in chapter 5 by saying what is necessary for us to have in the heart. Things like humility, mourning over sin, purity, mercy, a hunger and thirst for righteousness, and a willingness to be persecuted for standing for the truth. He also then corrected several popular interpretations of scriptural commands that were, well, these interpretations made it easier for men to outwardly fulfill them, but they had found many ways that the human heart does of disobeying those commands. Jesus instead now will turn in chapter 6 to say how we should and should not perform righteous acts. The Christian life is not only about what's in your heart, which that is important and that is the fountain from where everything that you do flows. It is not only about not doing certain things, although there are commands in Scripture about what we should not do, and we should abide by those because those are God's holy standards. But it is also about doing certain things. It is required to cultivate certain acts of righteousness or piety. And the three things that are spoken of that we read this morning in chapter 6 are giving praying, and fasting. Now, in this text this morning, Jesus is exhorting the people to not be like the Pharisees because they enjoyed public displays of righteousness. They knew what righteousness looked like and they knew how to play their part. But I don't want us to think of the Pharisees as this group of men who sat around thinking of what pompous, hypocritical acts they could commit next. How can I, they did not sit back and think, how can I be a better villain in Jesus' next parable than my friend so-and-so was? 
when we read in the Scriptures, we have to be careful not to just make the bad guys these extremely 100 and about 7% evil from the time of their birth and then they got worse from there. And their whole lives were spent just, how can I please Satan today? That, that's not the way they were. These men set out to live godly and righteous life. And they wanted to do that, but we know what it's like when a group forms to live a certain way. Within a very short period of time, extra things come along. If you've ever been a part of a group where the expectations were high, you know what that pressure is like. So this morning, I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of the Pharisees. You may say, well, that would be very difficult for me to do. Well, just try. Okay? When you're in a group with high expectations, you constantly are thinking about what you must do in order to keep in the club. In the workforce, you know what the expectations are around your place of employment. You know what the people expect, and you also know what will stand out to those people. With the friends that you have, whether it's your friends on Facebook, whether it's friends that you are just going out and doing things with, you know what ideas and what topics are okay. You know what words can be said and what phrases can be used, but you also know what phrases you'd better not use. Because if you say certain things, you will be condemned regardless of what you mean. You can have the greatest intentions in the world, but you know what is to be said and not said. And a lot of times, it's not even something we sit back and think about. We just absorb these expectations. I'm not trying to make the Pharisees sound like victims who were totally passive. We're all sinful. And Jesus' words here, they are attacking pride. But at the root of pride is not only... We not only see people who are striving to assert their independence from God consciously... The root of pride many times is displayed in a fear of stepping outside of whatever your group, whatever your those that you are with do. And it's even in the church. And this is Jesus is talking about those who are religious. Sin searches in the human heart and it pokes through in whatever is your weakest area. And as a clue, a lot of times your weakest areas are the ones that you don't consider weak areas. A lot of times your weakest areas are the areas you think that are your strengths. You think, I'm good here. I don't have to worry about this. And then there's this arrogance that creeps up because you're, you're okay there. And just because you think you're okay there, then that has now opened up an avenue for our enemy to come in. These men that Jesus speaks of here, they were bound by pride. But Jesus came to burst the bubble of false righteousness. And in doing so, He freed us from having to perform to standards 
that are higher than the standard of God Himself. Now, in each case, Jesus begins by saying how men should not perform these three acts of righteousness. In verses 1, verses five, verse 5, and verse 16. Then, He will go on to say what doing it the wrong way looks like in their case. And finally, then, He will tell them what the right way is to perform each action. Verses 3 and through 4, verse 6, and then verses 17 and 18. So now I want us to look a little closer at these. And I'm going to take them, I'm taking them together as a unit because I believe the, the message that Jesus is giving is more than just give this way and not that, pray this way and not that, fast this way and not that. Those are important messages, and hopefully this afternoon we will look in a little more detail at what he says about prayer. But I want us to see what is undergirding Jesus' words. And as you noticed, of course, I skipped the Lord's Prayer. That will be a separate sermon probably next week. So in the first four verses, he speaks of giving. To take heed that you don't perform your alms before men. I want so let us see that first it is expected that alms would be given. Now alms are just gifts of money, usually to those who are poor. Uh, there was in the law of God a requirement that a tithe, a, a certain tithe, would be given. In the Old Testament, there are three tithes. There is a tithe that would specifically go to the well, the tabernacle and those who served at the tabernacle. There was a tithe that would go for your time where you would go to the feast days. So we would consider it something like, as I read in one place, a vacation tithe that you would set aside money to take on your pilgrimage. But there was also, every three years, a poor tithe. We read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 14, Verses 28 and 29. At the end of three years thou shalt bring forth all the tithes of thine increase the same year, and shalt lay it up within thy gates, that is, like within the city itself. And the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow which are within thy gates, shall come and shall eat and be satisfied, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand which thou doest. So, very simple. You would receive your blessings and then you would take one-tenth of your blessings that, that you had and give it into the city and there would be a stash for those who were poor in the city. said both those who, whose husbands had died, those children who were fatherless, and also the, the stranger, the one who was from another place could receive and enjoy the benefits this was not some type of uh, early socialism. If you read in other places in Scripture, you'll see, particularly in the law of God, that it was expected that those who would receive these things would be working also. So it's not like you know someone could do nothing and then just you know grab a handful of the, uh, the poor tithe and then go on about their way. No, they had to work. But... This was one way that the Lord used to provide for those who were in need. So it was expected that alms would be given. But when Jesus said to not do your alms before men, the passage is more than saying it is evil to take up an offering in the church. Alright? Because in other places in Scripture, we see that it is a part of our worship to give to God. So I'm, I'm not saying that it is wrong to do. I'm not saying that it's always right to do. Just that Jesus is not condemning that particular practice here. Instead, it is a warning not to give in order to gain 
the appreciation of others. In other words, if we give for the wrong reason, we have no reward from our Father. As he said in the last part of verse 1, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father in heaven. So then he goes on in verse 2 to say, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not stand a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So in this day, hypocrisy took the form of blowing a trumpet, and if possible that the phrase blowing a trumpet could be a metaphor for sounding out the fact that these men were giving to those who were in need. They would very likely be part of the aristocratic class and they wanted others to know what they were doing. They wanted people to know how righteous they were. Now for you and I, I'm thankful I've never seen anyone before you either, you know, give in the box in the back or when you give to uh, the Herman. No one has ever brought an instrument into the church building and blown it or sounded it in order for everyone to know that you're giving. You, you, you don't, you know, put your ringer on your cell phone on the loudest setting and then play it and then when everyone looks to you, say, I'm giving now. That's never happened, thankfully. We're glad of that. But, it did happen in this day. And we are, even though we don't do it like that particularly, we want appreciation. We want people to think of how wonderful, how generous, how kind, and how giving we are. If you say, well, you know, I really don't care. Really? If you do something for someone, do you have any expectations at all? Do you think that maybe at least they would write you a nice thank you note? Or that they would be a little bit more kind to you if they hadn't been kind to you before? We get irritated a lot of times when we do something for someone and they don't respond with what we consider to be enough appreciation. Have you ever said, you don't appreciate me or I am not appreciated or I don't receive the recognition. I don't receive any recognition at all. Or if you haven't said it, have you thought it? And has the thought been something that... I mean, it, we have all kinds of thoughts, but I'm, when I say thought here, I'm talking about something that comes into our mind and we meditate on it and we think, you know, I may have a point there. A lot of times we want and we crave at least a certain amount of recognition for what we do for others. And Jesus said, if you do what you do in order to gain something from that person, If and when you receive anything from that person, that is all the reward you will ever have for that. That's it. All right, the person said, and I'm not saying that it's wrong, okay, for you know to receive recognition. It's not. It's wrong to do what you do because you are pursuing recognition. So Jesus says that the right way to give is to give secretly. Verse 3, When thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. 
the right way to give is to do so in a way that is unto God and not deliberately so that other people will see it. Whether you're giving to the poor or to a ministry that serves the poor, to your family or to your church or to your friends, don't give with the hope that you will be recognized or appreciated. Don't, don't give for that reason. Because the one you're doing this for is God. Jesus sacrificed Himself on our behalf. And He has given us untold number of blessings. Many of which no one will ever know about. Many of which we don't even recognize as the one who is the beneficiary of those gifts. So, how do you know if you're doing it for the right reason? Well, when you do something for someone, or when you give something, Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, that is a metaphor, okay? He is not. He is not saying that you can literally uh, hide something from one hand. But, when you give, it should not be something that after you give it or after you do something for someone that you mull it over and over and over in your mind. Where you pat yourself on the back thinking, I'm so thankful I did that. I'm so glad. That was, that was really good. That was really nice of me. I could have been doing this, but I didn't. Now, all this is just going on right here. But still, this is what Jesus is saying don't do. Don't give something. Don't do something. And then let it be something that you puff yourself up over even inside. Just give and forget it. So the matter Jesus is speaking of is the heart. And if we give from a generous heart, and we do it as unto the Lord, that means do it as, in, well, not as in, but do it in submission to God. Because He has given to you, you give to others. You do things for others. And then, when you are obedient in that way, He said in verse 4, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret Himself shall reward thee openly. When you give, the Lord will grant you if you give as unto Him and without desire for appreciation or without desire for recognition or adulation. When you do that, when He sees fit, He will make it known to others that you are a giving and a kind and a generous person. Your reputation belongs to God. And He will reward you in front of others. That's why I said it's not wrong to receive recognition. It's not wrong. It happens a lot. Jesus is the most famous human being who ever lived. Even the most militant atheists they spend their lives trying to disprove the claims of one man. At least they, I mean, they recognize him. They know Jesus is well known because of his gift. And that's not wrong. 
He is the prime example in this. He gave Himself freely in submission to His Father and in love for His people. He gave Himself and He has been recognized first and foremost by God Himself, but also by men, even those who don't believe Him, He is recognized at least as a very influential and sacrificing man. We should not be ashamed when something we have done is recognized, but we must be careful that that recognition doesn't become an idol. It's always a danger. When we receive a little bit of it, we want more of it. So he's saying, don't give in order to be acknowledged. When you give your gift in submission to Him, He will see and He will reward you publicly. And He will vindicate you. He will display you as righteous and as generous when He sees fit. Well, Then, after speaking of giving, Jesus talks about praying and fasting. In verses 5 through 8 and then verses 16 through 18. Now, in these verses, Jesus warns that we shouldn't, or what we should not do in our times of prayer and fasting. First of all, he says, we should not strategically plan where we pray so that people will notice us. Verse 5, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So he said, we should not plan where we will pray. Number two, we should not use vain and excessive words so that, so that people will think highly of our piety. In verse seven, when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. And then in verse 16, he said, we should not try to look like we are fasting. So that the hypocrites have a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Now, let me elaborate on that just a little bit. In the Old Testament, fasting was accompanied a lot of times by taking off your regular clothes and putting on the clothes of mourning. And you would put dust and ashes on your head. Incidentally, a lot of times when you, and I have students on what is known as Ash Wednesday uh, that begins the season of Lent in the high church tradition, a lot of times uh, students will, you know, they'll, they'll go to a, a little service in either the Roman Catholic or the Episcopal Church and they'll receive a little sign of an ash, not like that, they'll have some ashes that'll be put in a little shape of a cross on their forehead. But, I've told them before, said, well, you know, if you really wanted to do it right, the way they did in the Old Testament, then you would have not just a little cross, but you would have ashes all over your head. And somehow that tradition is not really caught on with a lot of people. But still, the, the purpose of that was to show that you are sad, that you are distraught over something. And usually, it would be that you are distraught over sin. Or you are distraught over a calamity that the Lord has brought upon you. So, when they would fast, they would fast in, usually in order to show a high concern for sin and, you know, this, a lot of times the sins that they would fast over would be something like, well, I didn't tithe the exact tenth of an ounce of cumin that I should have this time. So, woe is me, great sinner, and so on and so forth. It doesn't say exactly what they were fasting over, but again, the point was that they wanted to display mourning. They wanted everyone to see that they were mourning. Now, who in our day 
plans where you will pray because you want to be seen by others. Now, I, I will say I have known people who purposely would do their quiet time in a very not quiet place. Not that there weren't quiet places available, but they would do it in a place where they would at least be seen. I, I have actually observed that and someone told me that they did that on purpose. So it, it does happen. But, honestly, uh, who contorts their face to look like you're mourning over sin? We don't do that. At least, I hope you don't. But even if you don't, do you work things out and adjust the way you act and live so that others will think of you as holy? Remember, the Pharisees were most likely not aiming at gaining the attention and the recognition of the lower classes of the common people. And it's most, more likely that they were aiming at being identified as holy among themselves. So think of it like this. Who could hurt you more with an insult? Someone off the street that you had never seen before or someone that was close to you? A good friend? Someone that's a family member? Who could, if, if these two said an insulting thing, which would hurt more? Well, we know which one would hurt more. The one from the person closest to us. Again, every group that we are a part of, in our workplace, in our church, and even outside our church, in those from other churches that we affiliate with, in the friends that we have, each group has rules that others are expected to follow. Now, hopefully those rules are based on the Word of God. But even if they are, there are secondary rules that are always added. There are these small nuances that come up in the expectations people have. And a lot of times they're added because, well, as human beings, we like keeping tallies on other people. We like observing, you know, how do I measure up to this person or to this group of people? Am I, do, do I hold the same standards? A, 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 am I keeping things at the same level that they are? Am I far above them? And do they have really a good ways to go before they catch up to me? Or you name it. We know what it takes to have status among those that we are around. We know exactly what it takes. And I'm not saying that it's just one group or another. It's everybody. So do you do things, even biblical things, because you want to keep up with the standards of those around you or because you love Christ? Why are you living a righteous life? Is it because the Lord Jesus has saved you? Right answer. Or is it because other people would think less of you? Wrong answer. Even at that, we know what the answer to give. In our employment, do you refuse to speak the truth in love because you want to be a witness. You don't want to come across as being 
hard. Now, I'm not saying go to the other extreme and bring your Bible and start swinging it. But something as simple when there is several uh, trashy stories being told, something as simple as walking away, whenever those things come up, we'll get the point across. But I have even heard the excuse given, well, I didn't want to leave the conversations because I'm always looking for an opportunity when I can say something. Have you ever said something? Well, no, I've never found the opportunity to. But I'm. do you see the, the implicit problem here? And even in the church. Every church has certain things that are taboo. Now, of course, yes, sin should be taboo, okay? Sin should be something that, and I don't mean it's unspeakable. Yes, we should confess it and forsake it. But I mean there are some things in church, like even some scriptural conversations in various churches, different ones for different churches, that are not allowed. Why? Because that's just not what we do. The hypocrites of Jesus' day prayed because they wanted to be seen as holy. So, what do you do because you want to be seen as holy? What do you manufacture in order to Bring yourself up to the standards of those around you. Now, of course, someone can say, but holiness is a good thing. And you're right. It is. It is right to give. It is right and it is expected that we pray. We're told, pray without ceasing. We're given many glorious and beautiful prayers in Scripture. We're told that, I mean, it's expected by what Jesus is saying that we would fast. So all of these things, it is, we anticipate that we would do them. But remember, God is the one who defines holiness, not man. Men cannot justify you. We'll say that again. Men cannot justify. When I say justify, I mean something like vindicate. They they cannot give you true, eternal, and even long-term temporal affirmation. And we desire that. We love that. We want people to know, I love God. We want them to know that. And we want them to know not not just I love God. We want them to know I am a good person. We want people to think well of us. But the way a lot of times that we, when we say we want, I want this person or this group to think that I am a good person. A lot of times we have to adjust our definition of good to match what they consider good. And I'm not just talking here about, you know, extremely sinful things. Okay? I'm not saying that all the married couples in here are tempted to, you know, to, to lower the standards of adultery because you talk to people who are adulterers and you will. I'm not talking about that extreme, those extreme lengths. I'm talking about just small stuff. I'm talking about 
things like gossip. Talking about things like anger. When you observe it, do you take part in it? Are there certain people or groups in your group that are looked down on? And in order to achieve status in the group, to move up the totem pole, you must take a few pot shots at whatever that group is. A lot of times in churches that believe in sovereign grace, it is easy to do this with those who are charismatic. And I've observed it to happen before. Just, you know, in conversations. Can you believe what so-and-so said? And then just go on and on about how weird and dumb and ignorant this particular person or preacher, minister or something like that is. And naturally, the way to help, you know, when you're talking to someone, someone, you know, says that, well then, the way that you build yourself up in that person's eyes, you need to just, you know, go ahead and say, would you please pass me the verbal baseball bat so I can take a few swings also. You know, there are a lot of problems with that theology. And there are times when warnings need to be given about certain ministers that are teaching very false things. But there's a difference between taking cheap shots and giving warnings. All this is in the context of trying to boost our esteem in the sight of others. Again, the Pharisees wanted to look like they were mourning. You remember what Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. Right? Mourning's righteous. Mourning's good. It's it's from the heart, or it should be from the heart. But our human hearts much prefer to look like we're confessing sin and to talk about confessing sin than actually confessing sin. We like talking about abstract sin. We like repentance that's very broad. Lord, we repent of our arrogance and our pride. Or as one letter that was recently sent to the United States, I can't remember which department it was, I, I think is, it had to do with the environment, by a group of evangelicals apologizing and confessing their part in global warming. You know, please forgive us for not standing up to that. And you know, it, that That's really broad. Okay? And the sins that need to be confessed are the ones that Scripture details. But even at that, in good, wholesome, righteous churches, we like talking about the sin that takes place a world away and confessing that sin that we didn't even commit than confess our own. This is what Jesus is getting to. He's saying, don't do that. Don't try to build yourself up before others because even if, as a result of your efforts, other people view you as a godly person, you still gain nothing. If Just because you can make yourself look good in the sight of those that you are around, 
it's empty. The container with which you capture the admiration of others has holes all through it. And the pressure to keep up appearances will not ever be relieved. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says that the fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap. And once you are caught, it is impossible for you of your own accord to get out. It takes the grace of Christ to break you free from that. Now, some have thought, as a result of reading Matthew chapter 6 in these early verses, that because of this, we must do our best to not look pious. So, examples of such attitudes are things like... um, We need to try to be as casual as possible in the way we act, look, and talk on in Sunday morning worship because we don't want to be like the Pharisees. Or don't ever write a prayer before you pray it. Or don't pray a written prayer, whether you've written it or whether someone else has, because that's vain repetition. One of my personal favorites is don't pray in public because Jesus said you should only pray in your closet. This is also missing the point. And you know what can happen when we try to take what Jesus said and run to the other side? we can end up making laws out of the opposite things that the Pharisees made laws out of. We can end up taking pride in our simplicity. We can take pride in the fact that our prayers are all extemporaneous. We can take pride in the fact, our preachers can take pride in the fact that we know words like extemporaneous. You can take pride in all kinds of things. Jesus is not condemning acts of righteousness, even those that are done at times publicly. But He is saying that holiness must begin privately in the presence of God and not outside. And in all three instances, He ends by saying that our Father who sees these things in secret will will reward us openly if they are being done as unto Him. Now, a reputation for holiness And piety is a reward from God. We should know that. When you are viewed as a person that is a godly and righteous person, that is a gift from God. He says that in chapter 6, verse 5. The last part. Excuse me. Verse 6. Thy Father which seeth thee in secret shall reward thee openly. He also says it in verse 18. God's people should be known as sincere and gracious and living a right life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they, have, which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Yet we must not become addicted to the reward that such a reputation brings. The addiction to the fear of man brings many chains. Think of Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 24. He was well known as one in the black arts. And then, after he believed and was baptized, he observed Peter working miracles and he offered to pay for the ability to work those miracles. Simon was addicted to the fear of man. And Peter exhorted him with what we would say not so gentle words like you're in the gall of bitterness. 
So if you have been or if you are caught in the fear of man, you know what that's like. You know what it's like to be bound to do and to conform to the expectations of those that you are around. If you don't do certain things, you will not be acknowledged as being inside the circle. But Jesus came to free you from being inside man's circle. He came to free you from the pride of having to exert your own reputation. So this freedom is what allowed the Apostle Paul to say that he counted his own reputation like manure because of the worthiness of Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. So don't get me wrong. Positive peer pressure is good when it is used properly. So we are called to exhort one another in the faith. And I'm not talking here about the peer pressure to abstain from sin because would that we had more pressure and more exhortation from one another to not sin. And I'm talking about the pressure to do what men consider holy in order to please men rather than to please God. Jesus brings no burden like that. He came to bring us the knowledge of God. He said in John 17, 3, that this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. As you do these things, as you give, as you pray, and as you fast in submission to Him, you will grow in your relationship to God because these are Christian disciplines. But don't let your pride and the fear of man turn you into a hypocrite. Obey God in private and submit your reputation to Him. And then when He chooses, He will vindicate you openly. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that You would convict us of the areas that we display hypocrisy. It is not our desire to walk in the fear of man. So we ask that You would free us through the grace of Your Holy Son and that You would cause us to walk in the joy of serving You and You alone. We ask that You would pour upon us Your spiritual and unending love and accomplish this now because of the work of Your Son. It is in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.